Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin from the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 49, where I talk with author A.K. Wilder. First of all, I apologize for the budgie noises. My birds are like singing like crazy today and I was waiting for them to take a lull but it's not happening so I apologize that you're gonna have happy budgie birds in the background which is appropriate because my author even though she's American lives in Australia so there are Australian birds talking in the background um so Kim and I chatted about her new book, which is Crown of Bones. It came out on the 5th of January, and it is an epic YA fantasy. It's got a really cool magic system. It's got great characters, great tension, uh, a journey, uh, secrets and surprises, uh, multiple points of view. It really was a delight to read. Um, and so when I chatted with Kim about it, we were talking about what it was like <clears throat> writing YA because this is actually her... Uh, 10th publication, but it feels like a debut because of the YA difference and what it was like. This is the first book to publish in America. You know, she talks about what it was like writing the points of view characters and creating the magic system and kind of how the story came about. We also discuss, you know, women empowerment and anti-heroes and all kinds of really fun stuff in this episode. Um, I will say that we kind of dump right in and even her description, we're just talking about like the emotional things we will feel. So I'm actually going to read the blurb of the book so that if you haven't read it, you at least have an idea of what it is because you don't need a ton of context to appreciate and enjoy our conversation. Um, but I wanted to just read it so you kind of at least know. I do a little bit of like backstory in the actual episode, but just so you have some ideas of what's happening. Um, here's the description that's for officially on Goodreads for this book. So for fans of epic fantasies and sweeping adventures, this ensemble cast will immerse you in a world of unique magic, breathtaking action and unforgettable characters. In a world on the brink of the next great dying, no amount of training can prepare us for what is to come. A young heir will raise the most powerful phantom in all of Basine. A dangerous high savant will do anything to control the nine realms. A mysterious and deadly Mar race will steal children into the sea. And a handsome guide with far too many secrets will make me fall in love. My name is Ash, a lowly scribe meant to observe and record. And yet, I think I'm destined to surprise us all. That's a pretty good overview um, of what the story's about. So, yeah, really cool, really fun characters. She was really a delight to talk to. It's also a really great publishing story because, you know, she has been doing this for a while and just talks about art and creativity throughout our life and you know that it's basically it's never too late to start it's never too late to be inspired it's never too late to feel like you can try something new um, and we talk a lot about that too but it's just such a delight to hear somebody sharing their journey of success and publication and um, you know the journey that it took her on to create this story so I really hope that you enjoy it uh, I just want to remind you also real quick that we have a Patreon. It is Ink Feather Books. Uh, I would love it if you would go over there, maybe support me. Basically, you can do monthly sponsorships. It's basically like buying me a coffee or buying me a dinner. It really helps me support this podcast because it takes a lot of my time every week to record and to get it published and all of that. So I would love your support if that's something you're feeling. Also, um, 
I would really love to boost my reviews on iTunes. So I don't know where you're listening to this. Some, I know some of you do Spotify. I know a lot of you do SoundCloud where it's hosted. But if you could head over to iTunes, if you like the podcast, leave me a five-star review. You don't even have to write anything. Just throw the stars up. That would be so appreciative and helpful to me because I'm really working hard this year to try to grow my audience and like get this podcast in front of more faces. And I know that those things help. So if you are feeling also so inclined to do that, that would be awesome. I also want to remind you that on the Inkfeather Collective website, which is inkfeathercollective.com, I have a fantasy coloring book. It's it's I basically commissioned 20 international artists to illustrate my fantasy photography and the result is incredible collaborative project that I'm really proud of. The the physical copies are printed on really great quality paper with tear outs. And also there's digital copies if you're international or in the States, either way. But it's I basically wanted to provide it so that people didn't have to pay the exorbitant amount of shipping that is happening in the world right now. So um, yeah, it's such a great project. And by supporting it, you are supporting me and 20 other artists. So I just wanted to get that in front of you guys. You can head over to the Ink Feather Collective and click on the shop button and go from there. Oh, one more thing before I we get into the interview. Kim messaged me yesterday and said, hey, is it too late to offer a giveaway? I would love to offer a signed copy of this book shipped anywhere in the world. So if you're listening to this podcast within the week that it came out, there is a giveaway for this copy. I love that it's international because so often people who aren't in like the states where things are published uh, get screwed over. And so the fact that she was like, international I was like yes yes please and this book is great if you're a fantasy lover it's a beautiful cover it's visually great you could do bookstagram with it it's a wonderful story it just felt like just such a fun epic tale so if you're really into like epic fantasy and really cool magic uh it's a really great book to read so yeah you can check that out there will be a link in the description of the podcast um wherever wherever you're listening there will be a link and on the blog post as well on Ink Feather Collective, there's a link for the giveaway. So be sure to enter and not miss your chance internationally on getting a copy, a signed copy of this book. Okay, now I think we're good. So let's move on to the interview with him. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. Lauren, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited to have you here. Um, it's a kind of a, we were just talking about it. It's kind of a weird and fun story how we ended up here today. So for those of you listening, Kim and I have a mutual friend whose name is Aretha. And Aretha is someone I've known for about almost 20 years and someone she's known for about 10. And uh, we were just talking about how like I, I was on the phone with her the other day and I haven't spoken to her in forever. And I was telling her about this podcast and she's like, I have a friend who just published a fantasy book. You should know her. And then she messaged Kim and was like, I have a friend who does this thing. You should know her and like connected us. And it was really funny because her book had just come across like my bookstagram feed, like the day before Aretha mentioned this. So it was very serendipitous that we're here. And I, was just like, man, this book sounds rad, and I am in loving it, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, so we're here to talk about Crown of Bones, which came out on the 5th of January, and mm -hmm. it is a young adult epic fantasy quest magic multi-point of view, really just wonderful adventure story. And so, yeah, I can't wait to dig into it. So what what is the elevator pitch for this book? Like when you're explaining it to people, what do you kind of say to them? Hmm. I say 
this is a world that you are just going to get swept away in. It's going to take you to the heart of your being and into the lives of these friends that is going to give you a sense of belonging that you're never going to want to leave them. <laughs> and they are just struck with, they have a quest after quest and the odds just become more and more and more insurmountable. It seems like, how are they ever going to accomplish? And going through that with them, well, to me is one of the most enheartening things you can do to feel like you are heroic and you can climb that mountain and you can accomplish in the face of overwhelming odds. Yeah, it, it, it really is a heart book, a, like a friendship book at its at its core mm. with amazing magical elements. You have this, basically the, the, the big pivotal magic part is there are these things called phantoms and there are some people who are able to have this ability to manifest it's almost like part of their soul or a part of their being into a physical manifestation called a phantom. And there are multiple different kinds of phantoms. There are some that can change shape. There are some that can beckon. There are some that are fighters and warriors and you don't really know which one you're going to get, but you have to like build a symbiotic relationship with your phantom. And so you guys can work together. And so one of our main characters is this crown prince who has basically this gigantic phantom that's a fighter and they are at odds with each other and they can't really control him and he's not really sure what to do and he has to learn and so like half of the book is a quest to go to where he can be taught on how to understand this and the struggles of of that journey which was really fun and interesting to to read about um before we talk about the journey though kind of take us through the evolution of this story like how did the phantoms come to be and why did this story end up the way that it did mm. That's a very good question. <laughs> it began 10 years ago with, first off, with a print, a John Waterhouse print. I don't know if you've seen John Waterhouse's work. He's an 18th, 19th century artist, uh, very romantic, very fantastic in a, this rich, mythical way. <laughs> anyway, my dad had sent me a print of a work he did called The Siren, and we sh should have a link to this. Okay. <laughs> the Siren is, it hung on my wall, and I saw it every morning, and the sun would splash across it, and it literally, I know this sounds a little corny, but it just called to me, it haunted me, and I started to think, what if, <laughs> what if the evolution of human DNA allowed for this aquatic version of ourselves. So there was that element and I knew I wanted to, to write it and it started to play on my mind and uh, work its magic. <laughs> At the same time, just randomly, seemingly randomly, this uh, I was on YouTube and I came across, I was searching for who knows what, something else research. I came across a projection of the continents 250 million years from now, as they continue to move very slowly, they come back to one. Oh. They come back to one, and you can see it all start with the original 
millions, 250 million years ago, we're kind of in the middle of the one continent. They break apart and all these mountains are for, you know, how you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pangea. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we have uh, seven continents. And as time moves on, <laughs> it's they're all coming back to one. If you look at the map in the book, you can recognize all the continents back as one. And I thought, what in the world would that be like? Not a technological future, but think of it as there's been all these great extinctions. We've lost so many species. There's been evolution, re-evolution. What would be the track of that? What would what was be left of humans and what kind of world would they live on? And I imagine this magical hegemony that's pre-industrial and the kind of hierarchy of the realms and it just all started to bloom in my mind. I really wanted to write that. And of course, I wanted to fill that single sea with these mar, with these mm-hmm. divergent humans who live under the waves. Not with fishtails, but the species, this divergence of ourselves that are under the waves and all the mythology that that would bring. And at the same time, while I'm thinking all this up, (laughs) over months and months and months, I get this vision of these kind of like samurai warriors marching across the field, dropping to their knee, and in front of them out explodes these creatures that go forth and fight and they direct them. And that mm. idea of the phantoms uh, was born kind of all at the same time of these other images and ideas. And yeah, I named those people that could raise their phantoms savants. And I've, uh, because I'm an astrologer and I had a lot of background in union psychology, the idea of the shadow and manifesting the shadow mm. through the earth where it takes on form and all the things that the shadow is, not not just the stuff we want to repress, but maybe our highest goals and, and abilities as well, they're formed in front of us and uh, there to dialogue with and actually mm. see. And I thought, yeah, we would evolve towards that because we are starting to change our relationship with our inner shadow. You can see it in the literature and the changing of monsters and look how Vampires have evolved since Bram Stoker. Yeah. You know, we're falling in love with them now. They're beautiful now. They didn't start out that way. No, who doesn't want a vampire <laughs> boyfriend? I don't know a single person who likes, who's into vampires who doesn't like, yeah, that's cool. I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd be there, you know, exactly. Yeah. And before, where it's like, this is the most monstrous monster there is. Yeah. Exactly. And what it, what it means, the way I interpret that is that over this period of time of even 100 years, our relationship to our inner darkness, our inner monsters are changing. It, they are becoming something we can dialogue with and we do want to form relationship with. So I thought, okay, by the time it's Amasia, by the time it's this single continent in the future and all technology has gone and magic has taken its place in terms of getting the job done, we would have an even greater connection to our inner side, our, to our shadow, to the degree that it would manifest as something real, almost like a topa body, like a uh, manifestation of a thought form. Mm. So they kind of all blended together because, yeah, you're right. When I was saying earlier with the talking about the phantoms, I didn't even mention the the underwater people, which is obviously a pivotal part of the the story as well. And it's, there's so many interesting parts that weave together. And I think it's because we're on land the majority of the 
story. So that's why, to me, that was the prevalent idea, even though the other one is relevant and important. Um, and it's interesting to see how they kind of work with each other. And even from the start and from the title, like they're all connected to each other, those those different types of people and the different ways of being are all kind of inter- interconnected, which is really cool. Yes, <laughs> they are woven. And as this story evolves, I mean, it's the three, but it's a trilogy. There are uh, three books, they're all written. And it's basically one large story arc, as mm. fantasies are, divided into part one, part two, part mm. three kind of thing. So cool. It'll be it'll be neat to see how it how it evolves. So you said to me before we started too, and I didn't realize this, I thought this was your first book because you're publishing it under a different name, but you've actually been doing you've published multiple fantasy books under under your actual name for years and like that this is kind of a YA and a different audience you were kind of going for different feels. So as a writer who's got some books under your belt, what was it like kind of making a different shift in regards to focus and what's important in regards to age and and growth. Was there a challenge with writing? Did it feel the same and you just like slapped a different age on? Like, was it a different process for you? There was no slapping of different age. (laughs) I assumed not, but you never know. You never know. It was very challenging. And it's (laughs) so interesting for me to look back. I love this question because as I look back, before I wrote the YA version, and believe me, the first version was twice as long and was was adult fiction. Mm. It was the same as my other books written under Kim Falconer. So, yeah. This, when it became, it was actually my agent who said, Kim, I re, uh, she loved the work from the very beginning. It was the book that landed me this agent in the United States. I hadn't uh, published in the United States, say for a a novella. So all my works were published in Australia. It was my first crack at the U.S. market. So in a way, it's debuted that in that sense. But she, as she read the book and reread it and told me how much she loved it. She said, I really think it's, it's young adult. And I was so naive, Lauren. I thought, oh, okay, so what? We lower the age of the protagonist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, was I wrong. No, no. I had to rewrite every word and see it in a complete, from different eyes and from the heart of a teenager, which I hadn't gone into that state before. So in in a way, it really is a debut, even though it's my 10th publication, it's very, very new. And the challenges were immense until I got my mind wrapped around it. The other really big challenge was that I had written it in the third person past, I had been wont to do. And the other suggestion was, and this was after the book sold and the publisher suggested, well, said, I want this to be first person present. Mm. And I resisted that thought in my own head. I'm open. I'm a brainstormer. I'm open to anything. Let's put it all on the table. So I didn't say (laughs) what came to my mind initially. I just let it soak in and thought, okay, what would that be like? And I tried a few paragraphs and I was at first pretty frustrated because I originally there were even more points of view, which points of view in third person are very easy because you have, well, easy, but 
different from first person because you bring the character out in the dialogue and in third person you have that kind of narrative thread that runs through all the points of view and the reader doesn't mind because mm-hmm. it's third person yeah they're being told the story but when it's first person and yeah. you're listening you're to the in character, their head yep oh my i had to rewrite it over and over in some cases every character first cut down on the points of view because it was just insane you can't have 18 point of view characters in the first well maybe you can but i'm not writing that book um (laughs) so i cut down i think there's five now and two two or um we don't see much of it all so i had to cut down the point of view characters and i had to create that dialogue voice through the narrative and that was new to me. I'd not done that. It was only one other book I'd written in the first person past. And that's that actually has more in it as well. I wrote that after I wrote this series, waiting for this series to sell. So <laughs> they aren't, yeah, they weren't all in order. So I'd already had a lot of practice when I dove into that one in terms of first person. It took a lot of work. I, I bled with those those points of view and those yeah. voices. So, yeah, it was yeah. a challenge. Well, there you go. When people think writing's easy, I mean, I don't know anyone who listens to this that would think writing is easy, but people are like, oh, just write a book. Or it's like, you know, you get it out and you make changes. And it's like, it sounds like you gave this a full overhaul. And I mean, it's been very enjoyable to read. And I will say I'm loving that it has multiple points of view because we have such different insight to our kind of two and a half, three main characters really that we get in their heads, the two mains that we're in most. And then we have the third main who we get good glimpses of as well. Like all have different motivations and different feelings and different logic. And so it's, it. I love books that have different, uh, that have very different points of view from the different characters. So for me, it's been great. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'm glad that you didn't just decide to do like, okay, we're going to pick one and then go because it it really, you know, getting the story from the different angles makes it richer, I think, as a reader. Thank you. Well, I love that too. And I think it, if you're writing what you love to read, if you can pull it off, it's just so much better. It's just so uplifting. And I wanted the reader to know things none of the characters collectively knew. I, Because I love that so much myself. Mm-hmm. And it's just so exciting even to watch scenes overlap from different points of view. So we see, you know, Kalen's point of view there and then we flash to ashes and (laughs) it just cracks me up how you know because we as people we second guess ourselves we aren't sure how oh is it going this way was that did they mean that or you know what's going on and and then we find out oh it's over here they're thinking that so well and you do that even from the start like the prologue is a whopper Mm. and it sucks you in i i even made a note immediately i was like holy crap this intro sucked me and i was like what is happening? Oh my gosh. Like it was riveting. And then this thing happens and now it's years later and we're with these people and I'm like, Oh, I think I know. Okay. But then it's like, Ooh, if I didn't know what I know because of that, 
how would this story read differently to me? What would I think it, things mean? And what what do I think they mean now? Like, I've thought that multiple times reading this being like, what does that mean? Is that what I think it means? Or is it this? Like, you know, so I love that, you know, it's made it a kind of a, an enjoyable reading experience, because it's not just immersing in the story, it's actually making me think about the backstory and the secret story that we haven't quite been revealed yet, but has been hinted at. And like you said, character A knows, but character B might not, or character C doesn't know. And there's how do we tell the other guys? And like, it's great. It's, it's so fun to read. It really is. Oh, thank you. That's That was the goal. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. And so you said you wrote it you wrote it as almost one big story and then just divvied it up? Or did you actually have it pl plotted as three books and you just were able to make it that way? Well, the original, it began with a brainstorm. And as I ta we talked about before uh, we hit record, I brainstormed this with my son, who is has a cinematic background and oh, cool. in post-production and is very visual. And he's an incredible storyteller visually. And we brainstormed these ideas and how they might play out. And again, we, our original brainstorm was for this adult fantasy. But he came in even more handy when brainstorming to revision it as a young adult because he, is, he was at the time a young adult. <laughs> so uh, it was incredibly helpful. And we dove into that first book and most of the energy was in the first book, but we were always drawing lines out to book two, this happens, book three. We kind of broke the story arc, the major story arcs all together. And it was just magical uh, working with another person that way, just firing off ideas and crazy ideas. You know, you throw everything in there and, you know, you look at it. 10 different ways, this or this or this could happen. And then, you know, start throwing out what doesn't work, what feels like it's going to arrow forward. And then you go, you sit down, I sat down <laughs> for years to write it. And as you write it, something else wells up and the characters actually have their own voice and their own idea about what they want to do and how they feel. And it can change things. And I would go back to Aaron and I say, look, Marcus doesn't want to do that. <laughs> He's mm. just, that's not him anymore. And this is why. And so I forgot the question, but I think it had to do with where they all, with the story arc all lined yeah. up initially. Mm -hmm. It's a combination, like the ideas there, but there nothing is certain until you actually tell the story, it actually goes scene by scene by scene, mm. because that, gives it empowers the characters yeah like, i know that's crazy talk, no but, that's that's uh, author talk no i that is not my first time hearing that story and they're like no oh, that okay. character xy character is not going to do that and you're like okay i have to i you know i've had multiple authors say that they had a plot and then by the time they got to a plot point they're like yeah this character's like no i would never do that and they had to change the story because yeah. who the character had become like when they became filled out and actually uh, a complicated individual that they were writing about that it had they had to stay true to who that person was yeah no, that makes sense. So true. So, yeah, a combination of everything. And then, of course, you get to the stage you you have your, I'm doing air, air quotes right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> air quotes, finished manuscript. Mm. And your agent goes through it. And I have an amazing agent who's an incredible editor. And she had ideas 
And then it sells and it goes to the publisher who has their ideas mm. and the editors, which have, and that's plural in my case, have their ideas. Gosh. And then you run into the situation of, okay, you, I had to, in some circumstances, advocate for the story that I knew certain suggested changes would just break the story, not mm. in the break open way, but a shut down way. So it's, it's quite a process. I think all books are a collaboration yeah. in that sense. You're never just alone in your cave writing if you if you're going to publish. That's fascinating. It makes me almost go like, wow, how do many books ever even get published? Because that just sounds exhausting. Like, oh, you got to write it again for the 18th time. It's like, oh, God, you know, but like, uh, that's why the books we see get polished because we get to, you know, hopefully get the best versions. I agree with you that I think collaborative vision tends to be more interesting because you're multiple brains bouncing ideas. And, you know, I think people creatively are stronger when they have other influence in that way, because, you know, we get to see things from a different perspective, which is always going to make us think of things differently, which is good. So huh. it's going to benefit the story in the long run. And so that is it's just interesting to hear it like, yeah, and then this and then this again, and then editing it again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And also, too, you told me before we started, which I thought was really interesting is, you know, when you were saying that you had these other books behind you, like this is your first YA in the US market. And like, you know, you're you've been established in Australia, like you are not like an 18 year old debut author, like this is something you've been doing for a while. And I think that's really cool that, you know, it just goes to show that we can anyone at any interest at any point at any stage of your life, you know, can do something that feels good to you and passionate and, and lean into it and something beautiful could happen from that. Absolutely. I was I'm trying to count the years. Um, I was 50 before my first, before I got my first contract with HarperCollins. I was 50. Is that right? 15? I might've been 55 even somewhere in there in my early fifties, because that was 12 or 15, 12 years ago. So it's, you know how they say you reach these milestones, you turn 30 and life is different. There's this maturation that occurs or, you know, that makes people under 30 a little different from people over 30. And mm. then you're 40 and there's the midlife. And then nobody talks about 50, 60, 70 because they're, well, I don't want to, you know, support any limiting beliefs, but it seems like at times that there is a little prejudice against age. hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. Aretha and I were yeah. actually talking about that when we talked, too. It's like, I just turned 40. She was talking because she's early, she's older than me. And I have another one of my best friends is turning 50 next month. And so age has just been like pivotal age birthdays have been relevant in my life recently and just about that and like I had a really really hard time turning 40 which I know isn't even old but it's like it's that number and it's this arbitrary number I am no different than I was when I was 39 but yet now I'm 40 which makes me feel like I'm old and I'm too old to whatever who who tells you these things like nobody well, your culture tells ex you but you know what I'm saying it's like there should be no that doesn't mean that you are going to be less successful or more successful or whatever these boundaries you tell ourselves and it's but it like it's screwed with my head it's still does sometimes yes. and I was like this yes. is not okay like you know what I, I mean know. like there's I know I know what you're saying oh and just gosh. picture me at 40 still writing piles of manuscripts that turn out to be doorstops because I haven't mm. sold anything yet and keeping at it keeping keeping the faith and then after uh 50, I must have been 
55. I'm 66 now, so, and that was 2009, so I would have been 53 when I got my first, well, I got the contract in 2007. So anyway, we do the maths, but the point is decades, you know, went by. Most of my life went by before, not before I found writing as, as true to who I am, but anyone else noticed it mm. <laughs> in the sense that they, I got offered contracts and I got published through major publishing houses and um, had been acknowledged. I mean, often you, you go to graduate from high school, you go to university maybe or not, you do an apprenticeship, whatever your journey is. By the time you're in your mid-20s and, and 30, you're getting some kind of recognition and, and paycheck. <laughs> for what you do and and it becomes your social identity and you have that and mine was just um a wash of many many different things oh my god i've had fabulous careers vet nursing and i was a horseshoer and i taught riding i taught swimming to children who needed that support and what do we say now intellectually divergent I think is the PC, but I don't keep up on, I try to keep up on all these. All these things, you know, organic gardening and weight training and yoga teacher and all this stuff, all these things I've done in the background, every day I would think about my writing. Every day I would have a, a work that I was working on. I'd have some kind of day job if I was between these, little, I call them my mini careers mm. <laughs> of all the things. And yeah, not until way for you, decade plus away from where you're at right now, I, w I walked into a world where I was acknowledged for what I felt I was truly here for. Hmm. So I think it's important not to think about time and it's important, it's really important not to give a rip what <laughs> society is telling you you should do or be or how old you should be to accomplish and as a female I mean we see it in our films you get these mm -hmm. uh, stunning male mature over 40 sometimes over 50 actors lead actors go check out how old the, the lead female is. oh yeah they're always like 25 <laughs> yeah you don't see they're all 25 or under yeah and this is just hollywood and i'm nothing wrong with mm -hmm. hollywood but it, hollywood's simply a reflection of the vibration of the well in the states in particular that we're talking about right now attitude towards the mature wise woman and sh she's not elevated she's not acknowledged the picture on the book that is me that is definitely me and it is not a current picture of me it's the one that the publisher wanted for the book so I don't need to say anything more about that other than there is a constant reinforcement mm. of youth and young women are that's what we're striving for and it's almost like striving to go backwards <laughs> why why on earth would we be you know, striving to become less than, because I promise you, I was less wise and less strong as the years go back. Mm -hmm. Every year builds on what I know, what I perceive, how I live my life, my happiness level, because you let go of a lot of things that 
But you just, if you're going to be happy, you just have to forget about what the society and the current cultural feelings and drives and interpretations of how you should be, what they're saying. So yes, I agree. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about. And I just, I just think it's a cool story because I think, I think because of our societal training, people need to hear your story and my story and that, you know, and again, and there's also nothing wrong with being 18 and doing it. There's nothing wrong with being any age and doing it. But the point is, is that you're right. It's youth centric. And we're always told the stories of the young success as opposed to the fact that it's things are still available at all in any age to creatively and emotionally or whatever, like whether that's relationships or you know, art or, or however we choose to connect with the world, or if you want to start a different career, like there's no, there shouldn't be any limitations other than the ones we maybe put on ourselves, which we need to break through. But yeah, I just, I liked that. I liked that this was a story of you going, yeah, it's my first young adult and it's my first one published in the States. And you know, you're in your sixties. That's a cool story. I think that's interesting. (laughs) You know, I do. Yes. Yeah, well, I'm very proud of it. I tell you what, it is empowering. Every year becomes more and more empowering. And that's, I choose to make it that way, to feel it that way and interpret it that way. And I just, you know, (laughs) all I can say is you'll see it. It's, (laughs) you know, to throw your shoulders back and and be that woman who knows more than she did last year, that empathizes more, that feels stronger, that has more to offer. Man, I'm sitting here thinking like, I've been talking to some rad women lately. Like the last podcast I interviewed in her that I just published is Danielle Page and Cass Morgan. And it's about sorority witches and like the power of women and like the power of them collaborating together as, as friends. And it was just like, and then Victoria Schwab, we talked about that too. Like, it's just, I'm just like, man, I love that there's all these women I'm chatting with who are like, yes, be, be the thing, <laughs> embrace the thing, you know? And it's not that men can't and shouldn't too. It's just, I just love, I love that energy. I just think that's really funny. I'm like, wow. Well, getting this message out in the world a lot right now. So if you have have been listening to the podcast frequently and you've had these recent episodes, you're gonna be like, this seems like a recurring theme. It is not planned. It just seems to be happening, which is very cool. (laughs) It's it's amazing. It's important too. And obviously, it's true for men too, and their journey of empowerment. But the difference is that they have the societal reinforcement of Yes, you mature, you're strong, you get more handsome, you get more capable, you get more... They they already have this paved out for them. Look at our male world leaders. These are mature people. They're in their 60s or 70s. And women, I think we have to reiterate this and reinforce this for ourselves and for our male counterparts that it's true for us too. open your eyes. Hmm. Well, and I think it's, it's interesting, because as you're saying this, you're absolutely right. But I also think too, that men have challenges in different ways that women don't too. like, like the toxic masculinity vibe, I think about that a lot about that men are told basically not to be vulnerable. And women 
are embraced for being more vulnerable because they're women and they're more emotional. And so it's, you know, there's different strengths and weaknesses that have been perceived societally for each gender, which is, it's just fascinating to think about these constructs we have. I don't know how we got, we're talking about a fantasy book and we're talking about like <laughs> societal and gender constructs right now, but it's true. And it's just, I just, yeah, I don't know. I've just been thinking a lot well, about this stuff lately. <laughs> that is a really strong point. And I think it's particularly hard because we're all male and female and we identify with one and society usually and society has these categories and ideas mm -hmm. of what that one might look like and it makes it very complicated it's one reason why in the amasia series i wanted to write a world that was much the biases weren't about skin color, they weren't about gender, they weren't about uh, the, the even so much wealth. They were about your savant or your non-savant. Mm -hmm. And we get to play with all the things that come up when we're living under uh, a social bias. But I just wanted us to get, have a rest <laughs> from the idea of if I'm male or female, whatever my sexual identity is, that it didn't matter, didn't matter. And we could fall into a world where, or our color absolutely did not matter. It has no, doesn't meet any, doesn't just connect in the neurons. It's not there. So I just thought maybe we could have a breather from well, that. <laughs> and you even have it divided in like in three types of people you have like, you have savant people who have the ability to raise these phantoms. You have people who end up not having any of that power. And then you have people that these, you know, these people who throw the bones and read the bones basically say uh. that they're flawed and they're like, like basically discarded of. And it's like appalling. <laughs> like, I'm oh, sorry, yeah. what free, now? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like these people rolled some bones and said, sorry, your soul is flawed. And we're going to just, I mean, like, and obviously there's way more to that in the story, but like, essentially you have, you're right. It's divided very strongly that way. And that it is, that is the pivotal way that society functions in this world. And it is really interesting to read about it that way. I can't wait to see how this story evolves too, because just, just the, the layers and the complexity that you created this world, it's going to be really neat to see how you kind of play within the boundaries you've created. So I'm looking forward to it. Sounds really cool. You said they're all written already. Yes. They're ready yes. to go. Not edited. They haven't gone through the editing process, but the story's definitely written. Are you working on anything new right now? Well, I'm about to jump in on the edits for book two. I don't have a schedule for that yet. I don't know the release date of that yet. It hasn't been given to me, but those wheels will start turning pretty fast. I have an idea that I want to write and it'll just, I guess we have to see how this series goes. Mm. I want to write a book on a specific character. I'm sure it'll be multi point of view as well, but a specific character who is a bone thrower. So we can go through their journey because mm. It's very hard to reveal much of the bone throwers because they're so secretive and there isn't a, point, a bone thrower point of view in the series. And it's meant to be that way, this very mysterious, they traffic in fate. Who are these people? Why are they making, you know, how are they doing it? What is divination? And I'd love to explore that more through a character that uh, right from the beginning mm. is uh, taken in by the black robes. So that's... Kind of 
something I'd like to do. Yes. No, that'd be cool. Like pulling back the curtain on on the secrecy and like giving us the insight into what there mm. actually mm. happens. That's cool. Before we go, I always like to ask authors if there's anything they've read lately that they would recommend. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be sci-fi fantasy because I know my readers read across the board, but I'm always curious to see if there's anything you've enjoyed lately that you would recommend. Yes, there is. A couple books I read last year that I... One in particular, I'll just, one, huh. one was The Space Between Worlds, oh, Micaiah Johnson. Have yeah, you read that? No, but I'm, I have okay. it on my to-be-read. Okay, yeah. It was, uh, no spoilers, of course, but because it deals with the many worlds theory, which I've written about in, in previous series, I love the many worlds theory. I, I loved her take on it and the way she um, took her characters through it. Her, her characters were all kind of anti-heroes, so it was hard to, it, it was more, I don't know, I remain more an observer, but I liked it very much uh, for those reasons. And the ability to portray a character from different uh, versions of themselves mm. and show how environment or their but for fortune, their lives were completely different or their attitudes were completely mm. different, that was magic. I really like that. I'm reading right now The Once and Future Witches, Alex E. Harrow, and I love it. I'm also finding that they're, the heroes are kind of anti-heroes. So it's, <laughs> it's not like you, I, I love me a hero that I can, no matter what happens to them, I'm just there 100%. These, these women, it's a little different, but it's it's unputdownable for me. And she's weaving an incredible story. But the book I really want to rave about, <laughs> the one that I don't think has gotten enough attention, is Escaping Exodus by Nikki Drayden. And this woman, I have so much respect for this woman as a writer. It's a great story. It's kind of a sci-fi space opera story with very drawn visceral mm. characters it's just not you don't get that uh, feeling of cold metal technology at all but her what she did with the world building i'd never seen done before and wow. maybe ann mccaffrey touched on it i don't want to give too much away but ann mccaffrey wrote might have been a short story the ship who sang so it's been touched on before, but the way Drayden did this, oh my gosh, you got to read it. Have you read it? Have no, you heard I had not. It, the cover is freaking beautiful. I just pulled it up on mm. Goodreads right now. Okay. I yeah. have not heard of this and it looks, it sounds really interesting. I see the blurb right here. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I hate to say it, but I, I hate how publishing is, there's so, it's like every week there's like a hundred books that come out and oh, you're like, I know, you know, and, and like, I swear half of them I will, would genuinely enjoy if I read, but it's like, I just think things slip under the radar i mean this came out in 19 yeah. it looks like so it's been out almost yes. over a it's year it's been now. out a while yeah it, over a year i read it last middle of last year i was going to say summer but year winter and i was told told to read it in by my proofreader friend and she she's amazing she listens to everything because she's blind mm. and so she's opened my eyes that's not meant as a weird metaphor but she to the benefits because she listens to my work as a proofreader and she hears things that no reader has ever mm. she gets little tiny things because she's hearing it she's amazing anyway we have very similar tastes and she just said kim read this now and 
I did. And I just thought, this woman is not getting the attention. You should have her on your podcast. I was going to say, the sequel, wanna... the sequel comes out next month. Yes. <laughs> so yes. It would be like, really good timing. <laughs> mm, I'm going to have to check out book one and see how I feel. That sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah. I definitely added it to my Goodreads. Yeah, all three of those books I have not read. The first two you mentioned I already had on my to-be-read pile. Okay. Once and Future Witches I also thought sounded interesting, but I haven't read it. So, yeah, those are those are great recommendations. I mean, not that I don't love it when people recommend books that we all know, but it's, it's, it is nice to hear of either new authors or new, you know, series that I wasn't aware of. I mean, heck, you even said that to me beforehand. That's one of the things you've enjoyed about listening to this podcast. You're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know about that book. I And I swear, half the books I've read in the past couple of years have been ones that authors have recommended that I'm like, oh, I didn't know about this. Let me check it out. And I'm like, oh, my God, the best book ever. So like, you know, books that are maybe quieter or less, less buzzed about and just as good as the buzzy books and like need the love, like you said. So yeah, those are all excellent. Oh my gosh, thank you for that. Welcome. This was great, Kim. Thanks for chatting with me about our lovely Marcus and Ash and Kaylin and all of our beautiful savant phantom stories. It's, it's really just a cool, it's such a great story. It's such a, it's such a compelling story. It's riveting. It, the pace moves great. The characters are great. Like I said, the multiple point of view makes it really fun to read. And like, like you said, knowing while the other characters don't know makes it really fun to read. And, you know, I've been doing it on audio and I am almost done. And I just, I haven't been able to stop listening. I've been like, as I'm in my kitchen cooking and I'm cleaning, I'm like, got the audio on because I need to know what happens. I fell asleep to it last night. Like it's, yeah, it's been really enjoyable to read. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Oh, me too. And thank you for that. I'm just grinning. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> but yeah. thank you very much. That's, uh, that's all the author ever needs to hear is uh, a reader's happy. Yeah, no, it's been, you know, and as someone who reads fantasy a lot, it's always fun when it's something that captivates me. So it's always like, oh, this is really cool. Like, and I love that even the, the phantoms are all like, different animals mm. or people most of them seem to be animals but i'm like that would be so cool like here send your bird up and give us a bird's eye view like i'm, mm. a, I'm a huge bird nerd <laughs> by the way i could hear i yes. think it was magpies in your background i either magpies or crows were cocking in behind you and oh. i was like smiling because i was like oh i can hear the birds so, yes so oh yes <laughs> i i was like that would be so cool because one of the main like the main side characters his savant or his phantom is a bird he can like send his yes send it up his bird and i was like that's really cool and I mm. think that would be rad to do. <laughs> but yeah. It is rad. Uh, you know, rad. it's pretty cool. Thanks for listening, guys. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please check out recent episodes. And we have another one coming next week. We've got a lot in the lineup. Feel free to check us out on Patreon and throw some support. You know, buy me a coffee, buy me a dinner. It's on Ink Feather Books over there. Uh, but for now, this is Lauren and Kim signing out and saying bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.